like that. You want to try Hello, everybody. Welcome that. to this like Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Kind of got lost in my... Not, yeah, it is Monday. It is Monday. It's the holiday week. The three-day weekend's kind of throwing me off right now, but it's Sunday still. So we're not even at the three-day weekend part yet. We're still on the normal day weekend at this point in time, but this show will be coming out, of course, on Labor Day. So I hope you all are enjoying your nice three-day weekend. And before we get into what we're going to talk about today, make sure you follow Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. And, of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Check out our season previews that we did, State of Iowa season previews that we did leading up to the start of week one of the college football season. And you can see how wrong I was with some of the predictions we made on the show, on those videos, I should say. But we'll talk about those here in a little bit. And of course, make sure you like and follow the Facebook page. Check out blog posts and links to all the different social media accounts on the Facebook page or different links to the podcast on the Facebook page and all different forms of social media as well. And speaking of the podcast, make sure you follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and make sure to leave a rating out of five stars and leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. And it doesn't need to be a five-star rating. I would appreciate a five-star rating, obviously, but of course it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be a five-star rating. But before we get into anything sports-related, I did. I guess we haven't... I kind of talked about it slightly on Friday's show, or Saturday's show, I guess I should say, because Brady came over Friday night, and we recorded an episode. We were watching college football. It was... Oh, who was on? Kansas, Missouri State was on. And then I don't remember who else was on. That was the main game we were paying attention to. But Brady, I ran into Brady at the gas station. He was like, do you want to record a show tonight? I was like, yeah, works for me. We can do a nice little UNI, Iowa, Iowa State preview going into Saturday. So try to get up and post it before, you know, people start going to tailgates and stuff like that on Saturday morning. And then, yeah, we'll record a nice little show and do some predictions and see which ones work out better than others and which ones, you know, come back to bite you in the ass. But we, again, we kind of mentioned it on that show, but I recently bought a house and I'm, I'm living in said house right now. I, I haven't mentioned... I think I might have mentioned I was in the buying process before on the show, but I never actually mentioned the fact that I bought a house. And it was a big... It's a big deal for me. It's a big deal for me. I was talking to a couple of my friends last night. They came over for the Iowa game and the Iowa State game and a couple other football games were on yesterday. And they were my roommates at UNI. So Jared, who's been on the show before, and Andrew, we were sitting there talking, kind of reminiscing about everything that we did in college and stuff like that because Andrew's getting married next year. So it was kind of like we were just sitting there talking about it. It's like, man, it's just crazy to think about. Like, we graduated from UNI in 2020. Graduated from UNI in 2020. And we're sitting here now in 2023. Andrew just turned 26. I'm 25. And we both have houses. I don't know if that was something that was really on the cards. Something I really thought about was possible back then when we first graduated. I didn't know what my plan was after college. I knew I didn't want to be at home forever. No one really does. But going to an apartment, had that apartment over in Grimes, which I'm very grateful for. It was a very good experience to like be on my own for the first time because like in college, you're still living with people. I still had roommates in college at both William Penn and you and I, but the apartment was the first time I was like fully by myself where I'd have to find things to do by myself. And then as the year went on, I was more and more started looking at houses and my lease is coming up and you know, stuff like that. And then we find this house up in Madrid Put a bit, and this was the second time I put a bit on a house. I think I'd mentioned this before, but I put a bit on a house over in Urbandale, like back in June, either May or June. I don't remember exactly which month it was, but I put a bit on a house around that time. And the, what, what sucked about it was I thought I was going to get it. I thought I was going to get it. I really liked the house. I was like, oh, we'll put a bit on it, X amount of dollars, and we'll throw that on there. 
And I'm sitting there like, man, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. And as we were sitting there throughout the entire day, I didn't find out I didn't get the house till 10 o'clock at 1030 at night or something like that. I put the bid in at noon or around noon. It was my uncle. It was June, June 29th because it was my uncle's birthday. We went out to his dinner for his birthday the day, the same day we went to bid on the house. And I'm sitting there and I guess I lost the house to somebody who had a clause implemented in their contract for when they put the bid in that would automatically raise their bid by $1,000 by the next highest bidder. So if I bid X amount of money, theirs would just automatically go up by 1000 until I stopped up until a certain price range as well. And that, that house was nowhere near the price range that they were you know, willing to go to. So like the, the thought process of like trying to just go push them to their boundary was too scary to even think about like, oh yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. We're going to sit here and just move on. Move on with the life. And that's what, I, that's what I did. And then we found this place up in Madrid. And I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day because it was Justin's bachelor party. And then Brady had a wedding party that day. So it was a lot of driving back and forth. And as you, as we kind of mentioned on Friday, or again, Saturday show, Brady lives up in Madrid too. So Brady's wedding party was in Madrid. So I came up to the house to look at the house on that Saturday. It was July 29th when I put the bid on the house. Went up to the house, drove back to Des Moines, went to Smoky D's, then drove to my grandparents' house, went back up to Madrid to go to Brady's wedding party, met Justin and uh, the wedding party there at, um, at a Brazilian restaurant over in West Des Moines, and then I went back up to Madrid and then found out I got the house. And then now I'm all moved in. Everything's out of my apartment. I guess everything's out of my apartment apart from like two bathroom rugs, but that's it. But we are all moved in officially closed on the house on Tuesday of last week. And now we're, we're living in here. So I, I'm trying to find a place to properly record the show. I don't know how this is sounding right now, but of course we'll listen to it back in editing, but I hope it sounds good. I do hope it sounds good. I hope it's not too echoey. We're still, you know, working on things to find for the, for the location of the, the greatest podcast on earth. Like when we recorded on, on Friday night for Saturday show, Brady and I recorded in my living room. We sat on the couch, had my two TVs up, watched some football and just recorded on the couch. And it was a lot less echoey upstairs. Like the first episode Brady was on, we were doing it in my kitchen at my apartment and it just was so echoey, so echoey. So that's like my big fear recording podcasts or recording things outside of like a specific space that's kind of been outfitted to record stuff because it will sound really bad. And maybe most people don't notice it, but if you're recording it and editing it and stuff like that and you post something, you're going to hyperanalyze it more than the average person out there because it's something you put out. Like it could be something that nobody notices out there, but you can notice the slightest little issue and it will tick you off for the rest of the time until you post a new one so you can kind of forget that one even existed. But I think the rest of them post that one. I think all when we've had guests on, it sounds a lot better. Because we had that set design space in my apartment. Now we're just trying to find that new space here. If I'm doing if I have guests on, we're not gonna be doing it where I'm recording it right now. There's not really a, a space to have guests on where my desk is currently at in the basement. So we're just going to keep recording shows on the couch upstairs. But my problem is with that, at least from my standpoint, I got like, as I listened back to it, I got so tired. Like I'm, I'm lounging back in this couch, this really comfortable couch watching football. I'm in a relaxed state. I'm not in like a podcast or recording mode at that time. As the show went on, it was kind of like, just, I'm just talking at this point. I'm relaxed. I'm in the couch. So I'm, I'm kind of worried about that going forward because this chair I'm in right now is not very comfortable. So it kind of keeps me awake. It's just like a crappy, I don't even know what you want to call it. It's a desk chair of sorts, but it's not really the most comfortable chair of all time. But yeah, 
just a little life uh, life um, update, I guess you could say. I haven't really talked about it. I haven't posted anything about it anywhere. I know I have pictures of myself holding like the, the sold sign. My realtor wanted me to have a picture of that. I got pictures of me signing the lead or signing the mortgage, I guess I should say, and got pictures of that from there. I don't really want to post them. I haven't really told anybody that much about it unless you know me personally. Like if, I, if I'm good friends with you or if I consider you like a friend, I guess you don't need to be like, insanely we need to be best friends or something because I haven't even told my best friend about that I bought a house yet maybe my parents have told his parents and they've heard that way but I haven't even told him about that so if you're not with me or hanging out with me I'm probably not going to say anything unless you bring it up because I don't really I don't really like I, I don't know it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing to talk about but it's cool at the same time I'm still trying to like that first night was rough it was really rough because it's like all the little aches and creaks it's an older house it's an older house. The people that lived here last did a really good job at updating everything, pretty much. But it was still weird that first night. It was still weird. I got this monster-ass bed that's, like, almost halfway up the ceiling, or halfway up the wall in my bedroom. So it's it's a little bit of a, a weird situation, but I, it works. It works. I've thoroughly enjoyed the process. It's been a stressful process. I'm just happy everything's done, because moving in general sucks, especially when you, live, when you live on the third floor of an apartment complex that has no elevators. It's not very fun to move all that crap back downstairs, but here we are. Here we are. So again, just a little life update for you. And we're talking about like recording that show with Brady on Friday. And I feel like the best place to start off with going over college football preview is the UNI Iowa State game. I think that's easily the game to talk about right now because of like, if you watch those three videos that we posted, because last week we did the whole state of Iowa preview thing. We went three videos in a row, three days in a row, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So if you haven't checked those out, you can go back and go those on the Logan Blackman Show YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe there as well. But you can go back and listen to my Iowa State and you and I listen to the first game we predicted because that's who they played. Iowa State and you and I. And I've had this prediction for a while now. Like we've talked about this on the show even like months before the season started. Like when spring football was kicking off and stuff like that. We were talking about this game because you and I FCS school playing an FBS team in a kind of a, like a weird, would you consider it a rivalry game of sorts? Would Iowa State fans out there consider you and I a rival in football? I, at least when I was a kid, potentially, I don't know as much anymore, but after Saturday, good Lord, the game did not go anywhere like I expected. And it was kind of funny. I was sitting there watching the games the rest of the day and I got called out by one of my friends in our fantasy football group chat. He said something about Theo Day being the best quarterback in the state of Iowa. I still stand by that. I still stand. I think he had a terrible game. That pick six on the first drive really set everything back. Iowa State, in that first half, or first quarter, really, they just ate up big plays against you and I. And they weren't really offensive plays. Like, the first offensive drives, they stalled out. But they got the pick six, and then they got a massive punt return. Like, they were... It wasn't really anything that crazy early on in the game. It was like they were just making these big, big plays. But they were killing you and I. The D-line for Iowa State absolutely blew up the new offensive line for you and I because remember we talked about that in the video. Four new starters in the offensive line. And I knew that going into the game that that could be somewhat of an issue because, you know, having a having an offensive line that's new is rough because it's a unit. You have one returning starter from a season before and they got absolutely found out. And when you have a pass offense that has the potential to be elite with Theo Day at quarterback, who again, I still believe is the best quarterback in the state. I know he didn't have the greatest game of all time. He got outplayed by Rocco Becht in that game, who looked really solid, actually, in this game. So it's Rocco Becht's team now. We had all those question marks on you and I, or Iowa State's quarterback situation going into the season. Now we know. It's Rocco Becht. Rocco Becht is a starting quarterback. Throws a really good deep ball. 
Like, he got a great flow as well. A little shorty next to J.J. Cole, who's 6'7", 250. I think that's what they listed him as, as a freshman. True freshman at that. Like, it's it was just a bad day at the office. The run game looked good. Ty Edwards looked all right. Had about 75 rushing yards in the game, somewhere around there. I thought he looked pretty solid. But, man, the pass game was not there. When you have a whole new offensive line and give Theo Day no time to really work, He's going to start getting a little, you know, as quarterbacks do at that point when you're just getting beat up, you're trying to get the ball out because you're trying not to get hit and you start forcing into tough situations. So he threw another pick later on in the game. Like it just, it was not a good game at any facet for you and I. And like, it was just rough. It was a really rough outing for the you and I Panthers. And I don't know, like we talked about this game potentially being, you know, a closer game. And Brady said his final score was 38 to 10. I bet him 20 bucks that you and I wouldn't lose by 28 points. They ended up losing by 21 points. So they technically, did they cover? They cover the spread. 21 was the, was the line. They cut, They lost by 21 points. <laughs> so they technically cover, I guess. But yeah, that was rough. That was rough. And I thought the game would kind of even out after the, you know, once the dust kind of settled down from the pick six and the big punt return was like, okay, let's see Iowa State try to like drive out long drive or put out long drives going into the rest of the game. They managed to do that. They managed to do that. You and I kind of got a more of a rhythm on the second half because you and I just took their, or Iowa State, rather, took their foot completely off the gas pedal. They scored in the second, they, it was 23 nothing at halftime. 23 nothing at halftime, the score ended up being 30-9. Iowa State, and you and I can take that to the bank that they won the second half 9-7. Like, they can take that all day, all day if they want to. But it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because you got absolutely shat on by Iowa State. That's the best way to put it. That's the best way to put it. I was really looking forward to this game because I was excited to see what kind of offense you and I would go out there with and what what they would look like. They were turning a lot of starters on the out in the receiving core. They got a new running back, but he looked good. We were kind of expecting him to be good. 72 yards rushing for, for Ty Edwards in this game. And I remember vividly, I've said this a bunch of times on this show, and I remember saying it after it happened. Well, we had this, yeah, we had this show when, we, when it first happened, but the Iowa State UNI game a couple years ago when Will McElvain was the quarterback, Theo Day's first year at UNI. Iowa State won the game 16-10. And I said this to Brady on Saturday when we were recording the show. I said it to him on Friday for Saturday's show. My whole thought process behind that, Will McElvain threw a couple of really bad interceptions against Iowa State in that, uh, to what, what year was that, 2021? I think it was 2021 when they had that game. Not A couple not-so-great interceptions. And Theo Day comes in against Sacramento State, they go off. They absolutely go off. So it was kind of like an idea of like, man, if Theo Day played against Iowa State... I, you and I would have won that game. And maybe that's true for that year, but I was trying to hold that as a fact that was going to happen this year. And this is a better you and I team than that you and I team, especially on the offensive side of the ball where they had real no identity on the offensive side of the ball for that team. Like There was a stretch where nobody knew how good you and I could really be because the offense would just stall out every freaking drive. That's why Theo Day ended up coming in, and that's why the offense got such an uptick. But good Lord. And this is a worse Iowa State team than that team. By all, most accounts, it's a worse Iowa State team than that team. I think most Iowa State fans would agree with that sentiment, but either way, that had no bearing on this game. And Brady said that when we recorded Friday. He said that when we recorded Friday. He's like, that has no bearing on this game. And it's, it doesn't. It doesn't. And it proved that on Saturday. And Brady told me he was going to text me when he was, how he was feeling after the first quarter about how the game was. He texted me, ball game. That's what he texted me, or game. I don't have my phone with me, so I don't remember exactly what he texted me. But either way, did not really work out for what I was thinking would happen. I think my score prediction was 24-21, you and I. I. I can't remember exactly what I said on there. 
And maybe t- I wasn't really that far off with Iowa State score. They had 23 at halftime. <laughs> so I could t- take a, a little half dub, I guess, because I was two points off and I was a half off as well. <laughs> uh, but man, I'm a little less confident going into that Iowa State game than I was t- 24 hours ago. I'm being 100% honest right now. It's 11, it's 11.53 on Sunday right now. Or 1.53. 1.53. So let's go, let's, go tw- uh, let's go a little more than 24 hours ago. Let's go, let's go on Friday. I'm a little less confident going into the Iowa State game than I was on Friday because I didn't think this would happen. I didn't think you and I would lose like this. I, the idea of you and I losing was not really something I was like, no, it's definitely, you and I is definitely, definitely, definitely beating Iowa State. I was never like that. We said that in the video, like this game could go 50-50. There's a chance that Iowa State could win this game. We just have no idea what they're going to be able to do on the offensive side of the ball. We knew what they could do defensively. We knew what they could do defensively. And in hindsight, it's like, man, you and I's got this elite, potentially elite pass offense, and you and I's got elite secondary. Like TJ Tampa purchase. Like it was a, a secondary that is very, very, very good. Like this is a secondary that we should have, you know, <laughs> had, had a little bit more respect for going into this game because it's the only time I didn't talk about. When you look at all the games we had you and I losing in, all the games we had you and I losing in, we said the defensive side of the ball, if their front line was dominant, or they were turning a lot of people from the front lines, or their secondary was good. Like, if they had that good pass defense from season four, you and I was going to lose the game. We did that for every single you and I lost, except for one. Because I had it implanted in my brain from months ago that you and I was going to win this game. And even when we recorded the videos, I never even really, like, there was, I, I never wanted to go like, oh, it's guaranteed, it's happening, 100% sure it's happening. But I was confident enough saying that not once, but twice, because I recall, maybe three times. I might even send in the Iowa video as well, because we were going through Iowa versus Iowa State, and we were probably going to talk about Iowa State losing you and I week one. So I think for the rest of my prediction, because I had Iowa State going four and eight. Four and eight was my record prediction for Iowa State. Five and seven, I think, you know, reasonable at this point in time. I think that's reasonable. But again, like the secondary for Iowa State, TJ Tampa, Miles Purchase, Jeremiah Cooper, Frailer, like they are all... A very good secondary. You and I's got an extremely youthful offensive line, new offensive line. I mean, every other time that was the case where a team had a good defensive line or a good defensive strategy and a good secondary, you and I, we said, lost the game. Except again for this one. Because I wasn't really thinking, I guess, like logically going into this game. So I would sit back and go, like, yeah, five and seven is my new record prediction for Iowa State. I do think, again, they looked really good in this game. I do think they looked really good. I thought Rocco Becht looked really good. And again, outplayed the guy who I would consider to be the best quarterback in the state of Iowa. And maybe that changes the season progresses. Maybe Rocco Becht becomes the best quarterback in the state of Iowa. Maybe McNamara comes out and becomes the second best or the best quarterback in the state of Iowa, which most people would probably consider him going into the season. Cade McNamara, because he's been to a Big Ten championship game, he's been to a college football playoff that he would be the best quarterback in the state of Iowa, but Theo Day's just got some intangibles that I think put him over the edge over all the other quarterbacks in the state. But again, I have to give credit to Rocco. We gave him all the credit in the world for his name. Rocco Beck's a sick-ass name. Sick-ass name. But completely got this one wrong. And I've said this numerous times, so I'm not afraid of getting things wrong. I'm nowhere near afraid of getting things wrong. I'm open to the idea of getting things wrong. And I understand that I don't want to make it sound like I'm guaranteeing something. I don't want to ever guarantee something. I don't think that's, I don't think that's smart from my end, from my standpoint anyways. But 
You and I will definitely have a lot of stuff to work on going into Weber State. It's at home, but again, it's the same weekend as the Iowa State-Iowa game. That's a rough day to be playing Weber State. I don't know what the home crowd situation is going to be at the Unidome. Because when you look at UNI games, as a person that went to UNI for two and a half years, when you go to games there, and I filmed every UNI game, apart from my half year at UNI, I filmed every football game there. That home crowd when Iowa or Iowa State are at home or it's the Seahawks game is fairly non-existent. I give credit to the students that do end up going to those games, but like I've said before, no one grows up a UNI Panthers fan. That's just the fact of the matter. It's it, You can be, be heard about that. No one's ever grown up being a UNI Panthers fan. I have never met in my life, that I can remember anyways, someone being at school, in like elementary school and middle school, saying, I'm a UNI Panther fan. Like when that game, Iowa versus UNI, when Iowa had two blocked field goals against UNI, the year they went to the Orange Bowl, never saw a UNI fan like crying in the, st- in the school. It's like, oh, everybody's excited that at least the Iowa fans are excited that Iowa won this game. Never saw anything. When Iowa State lost to UNI, like with David Johnson scoring like 18 touchdowns in one game, I never saw any UNI fans cheering at school. It's just not a thing. Like the people that are UNI, I would, I would bet, I would argue that there's more Iowa flags in Cedar Falls than UNI flags. And maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's wrong. It's probably not great for team morale, but you know, they're a good team. They do have supporters, but like there's not that long-term indebted family lineage of UNI Panthers fans. Unless they're the most diehard student section people of all time, but I guarantee their parents weren't UNI Panthers players or uh, students either. It's just a weird dynamic. It's a very weird dynamic. A game against Weber State, like this is a week you would schedule Idaho State. That's what I would do for this. Like they play Idaho State in week three. That's where I would play Idaho State's week two because you don't want to try and compete with Iowa State in in Iowa for, for fans. And the funniest part about it is tickets are free. Tickets are free to students. Like, you can just walk into the game. Show your student ID and you just walk in. But still, going to Iowa, going to Iowa State, completely different experiences of going to UNI. Completely different experiences going to watch a game. And I went to a lot of UNI basketball games. I almost went to every UNI basketball game while I was there. Fun games. Really fun games. But I've been to Iowa State twice now. Because I went to the Iowa State-Iowa game a couple years ago. And then I went to Iowa State-Oklahoma this year. And then I went to an Iowa-Michigan State game a couple years ago. The same year I went to the Iowa State game. That was my first year I ever went to Hilton for a game and first year I ever went to Carver for a game. I'd been in Carver like a half dozen times or a dozen times or so just to go to the bathroom, but I'd never actually seen a game in there. Because one of my friend's tailgates is right outside Carver. So it was like, I'll go inside to take a piss and that's about all I'll do at Carver. And talk to my dad like, how's the game here at Carver? Not great. It's not great there. Hilton trashes on Carver by a lot in regards to atmosphere. But you and I, when that place is rocking, like when they played Drake and they played Southern Illinois, when AJ Green was there, when you and I was, you know, when they got knocked out in the Missouri Valley Conference tournament by Drake in the first round, their tournament, you know, um, what do you call it? NCAA tournament bid was in dire jeopardy at that point because they canceled the tournament. That was the COVID year. That was the COVID year. That was when COVID kicked off and canceled the tournament. So we didn't know if you and I was going to make the tournament or not. But that team was really good, and that place was sold out and packed. There was so much fun. Like, that sold-out arena, the McLeod Center, that sold-out game against Drake and Southern Illinois was better atmospheric-wise than the Iowa-Michigan State game, in my opinion. In my opinion. But it's whatever. But that, that Weber State game, that's a tough team to play. Did Weber State end up winning their Week 1 game? I guess I haven't even seen what Weber State did. They could be going to this game 0-2 as well, or 0-1 as well. We'll have to see. 
I do think being at UNI is a very big advantage for him, regardless of the home crowd, because that's a, a little bit of a trek for Weber State. And we talked about them losing a bunch of starters, or lose a bunch of secondary pieces to BYU this offseason. They lost two of their starting corners. Yeah, they beat Central Washington, but that's a little bit different opponent than Iowa State, isn't it? That's a little bit different. <laughs> oh, they play Utah next week. Oh, they play Montana State the week after. That is a rough three-game stretch right there. At UNI, at Utah, and then going at, back to home against Montana State. Which Montana State, not an easy team to play. They're a team that's just coming off a semifinal appearance. They were in the national championship a couple years ago. Like, this is a good Montana State team. I do really want to go to a Montana State game at some point. I really want to. I've been by the stadium, I think, twice now. Yeah, I've been to, Monta- I've been to Bozeman twice. I want to go to a game there. And that's the game I want to go. I have a Montana State sweatshirt. That's where I want to go. At some point, I don't care when it is, but I do want to try and go to a game there. As long as my friends are still out there, we'll have to see. If they're not out there, I'm probably not going to go to a game. That'd be the only reason I would go. I wouldn't just go completely out of my way to go to a Montana State football game. If they move back from Bozeman, which I think one of them is, if they move back from Bozeman, then uh, yeah, we're not going to a Montana State game, at least if unless it's at UNI or they go to Iowa or something like that. I don't know if Iowa State would play Montana State or anything, but man, Cyhawk game, fun stuff. Fun stuff. Again, It's I think it's a little bit tougher of a prediction now because I remember talking about that game, and I think most Iowa State fans would agree. Like Brady's fiance, talking about the Iowa State-Iowa game, she wasn't very confident going into the Iowa State game, Iowa-Iowa State game next week. I bet the confidence level has definitely changed after watching a performance like that because I think most people, apart from Brady, you can hear my surprise in my voice when he said 38-10. You can hear it in my voice when we were recording the show. Because it, it was shocking. I didn't think this game would be like this. I don't think anybody, most people, I shouldn't say anybody because obviously Brady did. I don't think most people expected Iowa State to win by 21 points. That's just not how this game usually goes. And again, I've seen worse UNI teams go two aims against better Iowa State teams and come away with closer games than that one. But again, trench is important. When you first game with a new offensive line, it struggles a little bit. and Ball comes out quicker, which force throws and then picks. But I have no doubt he'll bounce back for the rest of the season. I think Theo Day will have a really good season as it continues. But Weber State coming up is rough. And Iowa State looking at Iowa. Like, Brady, so we were talking about this on Friday. He's, I asked him if he was going to follow really anything that was going on in the Iowa game. And he's like, no, I'm expecting Iowa to win. And I said during that, was I just want Iowa to score 31 points. My expectation is for Iowa to score 31. And they didn't. And the funniest part about them not scoring 31 points, not even, they didn't even score 25 they even scored 25 points. Because remember, Brian Ferentz signed that, con- that uh, what, what do you call it? The, like, he has those stipulations where he needs to average 25 points a game. They didn't even get to 25. They got to 24. So we're on track right now to have Brian Ferentz go as the office coordinator. So it's kind of like, if I can win scoring 20 points a game, that's perfectly fine by me. If Brian Ferentz is gone. Because this offense looked better I, I texted my dad this, and my friends, when we were watching the game, we were sitting there watching it, like, talking about it. It's so much more... Com- I feel so much more comfortable with Cade McNamara at quarterback versus Petrus. It, it's a, such a completely different feeling because, as I've talked about before, Cade McNamara is the antithesis of Spencer Petrus. Petrus has got very good set of tools you look for in a quarterback. He's not really the most mobile guy, but, a, but apart from that... Like, he's got a really strong arm, loves to show it off. He's got the height. Like, he's got the size and build you want in a quarterback. He's got the smarts for it, but it just wasn't ever clicking, and he just looked nervous every single time he dropped back. 
And Iowa's O-line not being very good probably didn't help with that. But still, there was never one moment where I actually felt comfortable and confident that Petrus can make a throw. There was not one time. Every single time he dropped back to pass, his feet are moving 100 miles an hour. Caden McNamara looks calm. There was one time I watched him go through four reads yesterday on a throw. Now, granted, it's against Utah State, and those reads are going to be a lot more open versus like someone Utah State versus someone like Iowa State. There's going to be a lot more open areas for that and a lot less pressure placed on you in that game. I understand you only won by 10, but I thought the offense did look improved from what we saw last year. Like, this is a team that won 27-0 against Nevada last year. They won 24-14 against Utah State. And Utah State, and I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm coping here, but I'm, I promise I'm not because Utah State is better than Nevada. Iowa should have won by a lot more than what they did, but I wasn't surprised by the score. Like, Iowa scoring 24 points. That did not surprise me. I said my score was 31. They scored one less touchdown than that. And Iowa could have really had more chances in this game. Matt Namara, again, looked calm, threw a touch, touchdown pass in the first drive of the game, which this is so depressing. Like, when I, say it, when I said it to my friends on Saturday, I was sitting there like, this can't be real. When I was first reading it, I was like, there's no way this could be real. There's no way this is real. I refuse to believe this is a real statistic that, it, 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 no way. Just no way. Just no way. But it popped up on the TV. Iowa's first opening drive touchdown pass to start a season since 1991. And that was against Hawaii. Matt Rogers to Damon Hughes. 91. Just to put that in perspective, my dad was a sophomore in college. My mom just graduated high school. 1991. That is insane. And that is so sad at the exact same time. So sad. 91. Against Hawaii. It took us all the way to this point (laughs) in time. 2023. September 2nd, 2023. For Iowa to finally... Get an opening drive passing touchdown in the opening game of the season. And Iowa's had some good teams in that stretch as well. They've had some bad teams in there as well, like especially the early 2000s, or the, not the, the late 90s. But they've had some really good teams in there as well. You're telling me Brad Banks, Drew Tate, Ricky Stanzi, C.J. Beathard didn't throw a touchdown in the opening drive of the season? You're telling me that didn't happen? I never even thought this was humanly possible until I read it. And it just seems so weird, but it's also just so Iowa at the exact same freaking time. As someone that's watched an Iowa Iowa football my entire freaking life, it's been an Iowa fan my entire life, that is insane. I don't even think the most diehard Iowa fan out there, like John Leo, who I did the show up with in Waterloo on uh, OPR, I don't even think he could have told you that that stat is real. Before, the, before this game, I don't think anybody in their right mind would have thought that was a thing. Nobody would have thought that. But again, I don't think there were many people surprised by that. Maybe surprised by the fact they hadn't heard that before. But then once you like you first hear it, it's shocking. But then you're like, oh yeah, what team are we talking about here? <laughs> what, what team are we talking about here? We're talking about Iowa. And then it's, uh, this is another one. Speaking of passing touchdowns with McNamara, Kate McNamara's thrown two touchdown passes in his first two drives today. So I went up 14-0 early. It was like, oh, the route's on. And then Iowa just kind of like, I don't know, walked through the rest of the game. Kind of like Iowa State in the second half of the game against UNI. Last year, it took Iowa five games to throw two passing touchdowns. First two drives of the game against Utah State, Iowa threw passing. Two passing touchdowns. Five games. Like, what was the stat we said a couple months ago during the College World Series? What was that stat? Iowa had more hit batters than Iowa had passing touchdowns last season. 
Like, it's so sad. Like, literally, watching Cade Matnamar play is nothing amazing. It's not amazing. But I brought this up with Brady. We brought it up in the video. When you get a new quarterback, when your last one was bad, like really bad, we're talking about one of the worst quarterbacks in Iowa history, we're putting him up there next to Jake Christensen. We're putting him up next to Jake Christensen. Like, Jake Christensen had more passing touches in one year than Petrus had his entire career. And Petrus probably, well, his first year at Iowa definitely had the best receiving core under the Kirk Ferentz era. Receiving core, not necessarily the best receivers. Obviously, McNutt, DJK, Trump, Trump uh, Brand Smith, Mir Smith-Marset, who else would have been there? Charlie Jones, potentially, potentially. But for a receiving core, Petrus had one of the best receiving cores in the Kirk Ferentz era, by a long shot. Very good receiving core, and couldn't do anything. Couldn't do anything with it. But again, O-line, Brian Ferentz, it just makes things a little bit more difficult. But once you get a new quarterback in, it don't matter how amazing he is, or if like he can pull off Caleb Williams or Patrick Mahomes-esque plays, if he's just slightly better, you feel like you're in a completely different universe. And that's kind of what happened on Saturday. The score didn't even really come into your head. It was just like, wow, we have confidence in the quarterback position again. You have confidence there. And Matt Namirez, again, doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. Not the most mobile quarterback. I mean, this is why Michigan, again, benched him for J.J. McCarthy. That's why they went in a different direction. J.J. McCarthy had a great game on Saturday as well. Because he's a very good quarterback. Still got some things to work on. But again, Saturday's game, he had, I think, four incompletions in the game. Looked really good. But there's reasons that they went with McCarthy because they could they felt he could expand their offense more than McNamara did. McNamara is kind of just a game manager to a certain extent. I don't want I don't I'm not saying that in a bad way because it's effective. I mean, he's been to a Big Ten championship. He beat Iowa in the Big Ten championship. He's effective at the quarterback position. It's just not anything that's wowing. But it's so much better to have that than someone who doesn't look like they know what they're doing 90% of the time because they're so scared. They look nervous. They look indecisive literally every time they step back in the pocket. It's so odd. But he looked good. I think for the most part, he looked good. A decent stat line at 191, two touchdowns in the game, I think was a stat line. But yeah, going through progressions well. It hit short throws every once in a while when his projections weren't there deeper. But yeah, I thought Matt had a very solid debut for Iowa. He did hurt his quad again in this game. And I was just screaming at the TV for the rest of the time he was in just get him on the bench. But Utah State, the threat of Utah State scoring would make this a game, and then you'd have to throw McNamara back out there. It's kind of a weird situation, but I was like, hey, if I, if we lose this game, or if Iowa loses this game, there's no reason why. It doesn't matter who's at quarter. At that point, it doesn't really matter. If you're going to lose to Utah State, just let it happen. Just let it happen at that point. Like, you look at Baylor losing to Texas State on Saturday. Like, there was a lot of pretty decent-sized upsets on Saturday, and we'll talk about one one major one here in a little bit. But I was like, just get him out. Get him out. This Utah State game's not necessarily that important. It's important to start 1-0, but hey, get him out and get him ready for the Iowa State game. Because at this point in, this, in the Iowa game, Iowa State was rolling. If I remember, I, don't, I guess I shouldn't say at this point because I don't remember exactly what moment of the game it was for Iowa State. Maybe it was 14-0 in the game. But either way, it's like they're looking better than what we thought he needs to get out because you don't need to risk more injuries against a team like Utah State. Losing your starting quarterback in a year, for a year against a team or multiple weeks against a team like Utah State is just not worth it. In, in any circumstance, it's not worth it. So I was screaming for him to get out of the game, but he kept playing. 
didn't look 100% healthy the entire rest of the time he was in. And Deacon, jo- Deacon Jones, Deacon Hill, not Deacon Jones, the legendary edge rusher for the Rams, Deacon Hill, who is as big as Deacon... You know what? How big was Deacon Jones? Because this was back in the day, so they weren't like huge, huge guys. But how big was Deacon Jones? Deacon Jones was six foot five. How much did he weigh? 272. Deacon Hill is 6'3", 260. So he's not really that much different in size than Deacon Jones. He's a big-ass dude at the quarterback position, kind of like A.J. Derby when he was at Iowa. That's what it kind of reminded me of. Big old dude. Big old dude. It didn't really have to do a lot. Just kind of just hand the ball off. Just don't turn the ball over was the main thing there. I thought, speaking of hand the ball off, I thought Caleb Johnson had a very solid game. He looked very good. He was bouncing off tacklers there. Um, who else? Luke Lachey. Very solid game, but we expected that. I mean, he's tight end to you, so you kind of expect the tight ends to be good. Nico Regani had a drop in the end zone, but he made it up for, for a nice little catch down the sideline later in the game that could have potentially been an interception. Cade had a couple throws that could have definitely been picked off, but didn't end up happening. And Utah State kind of ate up after Iowa's defensive starters were out of the game. And Terrell Vaughn, a guy we said it would cause some problems for Iowa, ended up having 93 yards and a touchdown in the game. Like, he was a problem for Iowa in this game. The defense didn't look as amazing as you what you would expect going into the season. The D-line wasn't that great. Xavier Nwampa had a very good interception. Cooper DeGene dropped a pretty sure pick six early on in the game. It was a decently tough catch. It was a low ball. But for Cooper DeGene, a guy of that level, it was kind of surprising that he didn't manage to haul it in. And also surprisingly that he didn't manage to get it in for, touch, for a touchdown. It was a weird game all around when you look at the score. Like, if you just looked at it solely at the scoreline, it was like, man, that was a shit-ass game. But I thought it was a fairly, you know, solid game. Not really anything I was necessarily surprised about. Like, I've come to expect this from opening day. I'm not really expecting a 50-point bur- murder out of this game. I had brought Alabama last year. They played Utah State Week 1. They dropped, like, 60 on them. I'm expecting Iowa to drop half of what Alabama did. And they almost did. They came close to doing <laughs> doing that. Oh, man. I got Cooper Legas for Utah State had some good balls in the second half after he threw the after he threw the pick to Xavier Nwampu, read him like a freaking book. But yeah, O-line wasn't great. D-line wasn't that spectacular either. Defense will definitely need to step up against Iowa State, but you're not trying to show too much. Utah State, in my opinion, I said this to Brady, Utah State is worse than you and I. I know you and I, and maybe that makes Iowa's game look a little worse, but I still think you and I could beat Utah State. I do think they could. But Iowa State came with a really good game plan against you and I, stifled their entire pass offense until they were just like, yeah, you know what? We're kind of, we're up 23 points. They're not really threatening us anything, so let's just call off the dogs a little bit. Let's call off the dogs a little bit. But, you know, the Iowa State game's going to be fun. Iowa State's going to be fun. When Brady and I are both going to the game. So, yeah, I'm very intrigued. I'm very intrigued to see what happens. It's going to be a little bit different of a game than I was expecting originally. I don't remember what I said the score would be for Iowa State. Have I said a score prediction? I feel like I said something like 27-10 or 24-10. Does that sound right? Did I say that at some point? I'm just guessing it. I don't know if I said that. I'm just guessing. I'm just riffing. I'm just riffing here. But, you know, it's going to be a lot closer than what I think I and a lot of others thought out there, mainly even Iowa State fans. Maybe they thought it was going to be, this is going to be a better game than what they originally thought because there wasn't a lot of optimism going into the season for them. But, but one team that did have... Like, a decent amount of hype because of the people that were around the university and the, the football team at the time. A decent amount of hype that was kind of like, I was sitting there like, hey, let's hold off a little bit. They're really talented, but there are a lot of new pieces there. 
They had replaced a lot of people. They were ass last year. I think people were forgetting how bad this team was last year when they were predicting nine wins. But after watching them week one, like I said this team could win five, six games. That was my prediction going. I was being safe. My safe prediction. We know they have talent. We know they have talent on this team. But five, six wins was my safe prediction because they got a tough schedule, if I remember correctly, because I think Brady and I went through it. But Colorado against TCU, what a freaking game. Why do they throw Iowa, you know, your favorite team, on same on at the same time versus a game like this? Now, maybe in hindsight, people didn't expect a game to be like this, but the Fox Sports game day thing, it's not the same thing. It's kind of their, it's Fox's version of game day. They were in Fort Worth for this. Deion Sanders' first game at Colorado. And they go out and beat TCU. And this is a TCU team who we've talked about was going to take a little bit of dip this year because they lost a lot of people. A lot of people. Chandler Morris is still a very solid quarterback. But you lose guys like you did last year. Your main receiver, your quarterback, main running back, your best offensive lineman. You lose all those people on offense. And it's going to be a little bit of a rough stretch coming in. Now, you still have Josh Newton there, who's a very good corner. You lost Travis Hodge Tomlinson there. But we knew they were going to take some stuff, sort of a step back. They still dropped 42 points in this game. I think that's kind of getting lost here. They dropped 42 points and lost. And lost. And we're looking at other top 25 matchups against teams that scored less than 30, 42 points. Let's see how many games they won. They would have won against Tulane, who scored 37. So there's one. They would beat North Carolina, who scored 31. They would have beat Wisconsin, who scored 38. They would have beaten Texas, who scored 37. They would beat Penn State, scored 38. They would beat Ohio State, who looked not great, especially at quarterback, on Saturday, scored 23. They would beat Michigan, scored 30. They would have beaten Iowa, scored 24. They would have beaten Utah, scored 24. So yeah, that's eight teams from this weekend that would have lost, that just in the top 25, that would have lost to TCU had the, had the circumstance been a little different. I know that doesn't matter for anything, but it's just something to point out. It's not anything that... Not nothing to write home about. I just wanted to bring it up for fun. For fun. But this Colorado team's talented. But going from one win, bringing in a whole new crop of people, there's going to be some, you know, growing pains, one would suspect. But they looked awesome. Travis Hunter looked ridiculous. We brought him up winning the Heisman. Because remember a couple weeks ago, when was that, a month ago, a month or two ago, where he talked about, I'm going to win the Heisman this year, he posted on Instagram, Heisman season loading or something like that. And we talked about that on the show. Like, the talent there is not up for debate. We know how talented Travis Hunter is. Former number one recruit in the nation. Was balling out at Jackson State. Like, a baller. Certified baller. But with a team like Colorado, my main reason for not saying he can win the Heisman was because of the fact Colorado's coming off a one-win season. You're not really going to see a lot of Heisman winners come from bad teams. If you don't make a bowl game, you're not going to win the Heisman. It's just not going to happen. If you miss the playoffs in the NFL, you're not going to win MVP. Russell Wilson, when he was in Seattle... That happened to him in like 2016 or 2017 or something like that. Missed the playoffs, not going to win MVP. Just doesn't happen. So I was like, the talent-wise, he definitely can. But this team, with how interesting the season can be, being in the Pac-12, playing USC, it's going to be rough. I don't think this he can do that this year. But after watching that game, good Lord, there's a 100% chance he could. They, they very much could. And depending on who you ask, he might be the favorite to win the Heisman at this point in time. Dude played 110 snaps in this game against TCU at corner and wide receiver. Remember when he got recruited by Jackson State, or signed with Jackson State, he was the number one corner and receiver in the country. He had 119 yards receiving the game. Joint led the team in receiving yard, receiving uh, reception sorry, with 11. Not to mention, he also had an interception in this game on the goal line. Travis Hunter is a dude. 
absolute dude. Timothy Hunter is what you should call him. But Dylan Edwards had 135 yards receiving and three touchdowns a game. Kind of getting lost in the, the, the idea of Travis Hunter, but fair play. Dude plays 110 snaps. He's going to get a lot of attention, but 135 yards, three tutties. That's not the sniff at. Four receivers for Colorado had 100 yards plus. Four. Four receivers. Shadur Sanders, who we've known as a baller. Like when you see college athletes with their dad being the coach. I'll never forget John Licklider and Todd Licklider back in the day for Iowa basketball. The only reason he was playing is because his dad was head coach. If he wasn't, he wouldn't even be close to being a D2 player, let alone starting for a Big Ten school in Iowa, who granted was not very good at the time in basketball. But Shadur Sanders can flat out play. He can flat out freaking play. And we knew that going into the season, but good Lord, what a freaking game. Against TCU, who again, has a solid secondary. This isn't some walkthrough team. This is a very good TCU team that, again, it's not going to win 13 games this year. But still, they were 20-point underdogs to Drew Sanders, throws for 500, 510 yards and four touchdowns. Throws a beautiful ball. Beautiful ball. Ball placement is out of this freaking world. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe he turns himself into a first-round draft pick this year. Man, I don't know if he'd come out this year or he'd come out next year. He has the ability to come out this year. He definitely does. It's just it's going to be interesting to see if Colorado can keep this up for the rest of the season. But after seeing that performance, man, I, I wouldn't be surprised they could. They look really freaking good. <laughs> they looked really good in that game against TCU. Looked really good. I don't want to take anything away from them. I don't want to take anything away from them. That pass offense looked ridiculous. That pass offense looked absolutely ridiculous. Oh, I didn't even realize this. Shiloh Sanders is on defense. I didn't even realize that Shiloh Sanders, he led the team in tackles on Saturday. So you had Shiloh Sanders on defense leading the team in tackles, and he had Shadur Sanders throwing for 5'10 and four touchdowns. Colorado's going to be fun. They're going to be a really, really fun team. And again, their schedule's not easy. Going, They're playing Nebraska next week, which I'm excited that game is... I mean, so the game's at 11 which I'm happy about because then I can kind of watch while we're at the tailgate or at least follow along with it while we're at the tailgate. And Nebraska obviously lost their game against uh, Minnesota week one. So Colorado would probably go in as the favorites for this game, which I don't know would have been a thing going into this if this was before last week. Yeah, they're two and a half point favorites in this game. Two and a half points. So we'll see how Jeff Sims and co. correct right the ship going into this game. But 45 points against TCU on the road. First game of the new regime. That is insane. That is really cool. Great stuff. And then you've got the rest of these. You've got Colorado State, which will be a win. Oregon at Oregon will be insanely tough. That game will probably be a night game. Probably be a night game. Then USC, that'll be game day. That should be a night game. That's at Colorado at Folsom Field. And the only reason I know it's Folsom Field, because remember my NCAA sim from a couple years ago? I was Colorado. And Folsom Field was a freaking fortress. Absolute fortress of a stadium. But that USC game, Caleb Williams... Travis Hunter, Shadur Sanders, that is going to be an insane game. And then you fast forward a little bit, they go to UCLA, they'll beat Arizona State and Stanford. Go to UCLA, then you play Oregon State, Arizona, Washington, go to Utah on the last day of the season. What is their record going to be? How good of a team can this be? Because expectations are going to be a little bit different now than maybe they weren't for them. Because Deion Sanders is a very confident person. He's backed it up his entire coaching career to this point. Like He's a very good coach. You look what he did at Jackson State, turned that program around. Like, he's got this in him. And it's funny, like, you don't really see star players, former star players, coming in and becoming great coaches. 
Because what you kind of seem to see is like this idea that the star players are expecting everybody to be a star player and don't know how to connect to Jim Bob that's the last person on the roster who's not very good. That's why you see a lot of role players. Like Doug Peterson is one of the better coaches in the NFL. Backup quarterback. Frank Reich is a, is a head coach for the Carolina Panthers. Backup quarterback. There's not a lot of former big-name star players that are head coaches. Even in the NBA, like Steve Kerr. Backup point guard. Like, you're not always going to get the star players. You're not seeing Michael Jordan, LeBron James when he retires. Tom Brady's not going to go into coaching. Joe Montana's not going to go into coaching. You don't, you don't see that happen that often. It's always the role players. But Deion Sanders is like biting that trend, and he's doing a great freaking job. And I don't know what our record predictions are. I'm pretty sure Brady and I went over this when we were talking about the show. or talking about Colorado season. I think we went over it anyways. But if I'm looking at it from Friday versus two days later on Sunday, I'm looking at a completely different mindset. Again, we knew Shadur Sanders was a baller. We knew Travis Hunter was a baller. We didn't know how the rest of the team would connect from a team that won one game a season before. One game. One game a season before. So if we're going game by game to predict the rest of the season, I think they beat Nebraska. I think they beat Colorado State. I think they lose to Oregon. So we're at we're at three and one right now. So you go start off three and zero, lose to Oregon. I think they lose to USC. So there's three and two. You beat Arizona State. You beat Stanford. UCLA on the road. They could beat UCLA. They could end up doing it on the road. We'll say they lose to UCLA. They lose to Oregon State. They beat Arizona. They beat Washington State and lose to you. So seven and five. Seven and five. Is that a realistic expectation? They could beat you. They could beat UCLA. So there's eight, seven, eight wins. They can get the rest of the year. And that's how crazy football is and how sports are because your opinions can change so drastically after one single thing. Like they scored 45 points against a team, again, lost a lot of people, but a team that still brought back a very solid secondary with one of the best corners in the country in Josh Newton. Like they are a very good team. Regardless if they're going to go to a national championship game, that's another point. But they're a solid team. They're not going to win 13 games this year, but that's a tough game for going on the road. Your first game, 20-point underdogs. Go in there and win. Not only win, you score 45 freaking points, and Travis Hunter plays 110 snaps, gets over 100 yards receiving, and an interception. That is insane. That is absolutely insane. And this is what we talked about when Travis Hunter first committed to Jackson State. If you're talented enough, they'll find you. They'll find you. Travis Hunter would have been a baller anywhere he went. He was a baller at Jackson State. He's a baller now at Colorado. It's only week one, but from what we've seen from Travis Hunter at this point, whether he went to Florida State like he was originally going to or Jackson State, the dude was going to be a top draft pick in the NFL because he's so talented. And it's just going to be a matter of what his best position will end up being. Will he be a receiver in the NFL? Will he be a corner? Will he try to play both for as long as he can? Time will tell on that. But you're looking at him as one of the potential Heisman favorites now, which I didn't think was that possible going into the season because of I didn't know how good Colorado would be. They look a lot better than I thought they would this early. Shadur Sanders, again, 500 yards passing yards, 500 plus yards passing, four touchdowns, no picks. Insane performance. Now that game against USC, I've seen people talk about this on Twitter already, that this could be a potential Heisman decider. Could be. Because Shadur Sanders and... uh, Travis Hunter versus Caleb Williams, that game is going to be absolutely ridiculous. And USC is no doubt going to be 4-0 going into that game. They play Stanford next and then Arizona State. Two games they will will unanimously trounce. They will kill those two teams. 
Colorado makes that game a little bit more interesting. But Caleb Williams, I, I've seen some Heisman rankings recently. Caleb Williams is still the number one player in the country in my mind. Travis Hunter, what he did yesterday is ridiculous. He'll be number two. But I don't think you can just sub- usurp Caleb Williams at this point in time. I, I have a hard time just picturing that because Caleb Williams is still doing ridiculous things out there. He has nine pass, And again, it's not against the greatest teams in the world. It's not against the greatest teams in the world. But nine passing touchdowns, no picks. Five, eight, 597 passing. Like, Caleb Williams is still that dude. He's still very much that dude. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, it's going to take a lot for me to be convinced that Caleb Williams is not going to win his second Heisman. Because I still need to see how Colorado does the rest of the season. After one game, that initial reaction is, oh, Travis Hunter's guaranteed to win the Heisman. I don't know if I'm ready to say that because did you watch what Caleb Williams did to Nevada? Against Nevada, which is a little bit worse of a competition than TCU, but still, but still, Caleb Williams is that guy. He's that freaking dude. He's making insane throws throughout the entirety of the game. He's running around like a head chicken with his head cut off the entire game and making plays, dropping 66 points on Nevada. I mean, I give credit to Nevada for scoring 14 points. It's scoring a touchdown in the first quarter. Impressive stuff. Impressive stuff. Caleb Williams, five passing touchdowns in this game. USC's going to be good. They're very good. I, I just have a hard time envisioning Caleb Williams not doing it. It's just a matter of voter fatigue. There's been one ever two-time Heisman winner. That was Archie Griffin in the 70s. One time that's ever happened. And given the current state of how people vote for things, like in sports, like... When you in hindsight's everything, but when you look at the playoffs, there's no reason Jokic should not have won his third straight MVP. There's no reason. Except for the fact people are tired of voting for him. So they voted Joel Embiid, who's finished second the past couple years. So now it's his turn to win MVP. So if Caleb Williams keeps doing what he's doing, if he doesn't like have an insane season, but still enough to warrant a second Heisman, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't win it regardless. But I think he deserves it. Because it's going to be a hard time convincing me that he's not the best player in the country. Because I think he is. Travis Hunter's got an obvious case for that. Shadur Sanders played awesome on Saturday. Michael Penix had a very good game against Boise State. Had 400-plus yards and five touchdowns yesterday. Roma Dunze, 102 yards and a touchdown for him. There's a lot of good players in college football, namely at the quarterback position. It's like this draft, if you're needing a quarterback, great year to have one. Great year to need one. Great year to need one. Like Drake May against North Carolina. I thought South Carolina would end up coming up on top against North Carolina. They did not. But Spencer Rattler had no semblance of blocking whatsoever. We brought Theo Day struggling behind that off the line. Spencer Rattler, to his credit, now North Carolina is nothing special defensively. Nothing compared to Iowa State, they are nothing special defensively. But Spencer Rattler getting sacked nine times still had 353 passing yards. Only nine incompletions on the game. Got sacked again nine freaking times. Nine times. In this game. South Carolina, total rushing yards. Now, they this is all mostly sacks for Rattler, so I don't know why they include sacks and rushing yards. I don't, I don't think that's very not very indicative to rushing yards, but negative two rushing yards in the game on 31 attempts. It was a rough game. Rough game. Drake May did throw a couple not very good interceptions, but he made some very good plays in the game as well. Drake May is definitely quarterback number two right now. Because remember going into the season, we had 1A, 1B. It's definitely 1 and 2 now. It's one and two, which most people had going into the season, but they're two very good quarterbacks. Very, 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 very good quarterbacks who can do in regard, not necessarily the same way, but they both have a way of making plays out of nothing. They both have that in them. That Caleb Williams does a lot differently than Drake May does, 
but they're both insanely effective and both give defensive coordinators absolute headaches. And brought up J.J. McCarthy, having a good game again, not against the greatest team in the world, against East Carolina, but still three touchdowns, 290 passing yards. He's still got a good season ahead of him. Only had four incompletions in the game as well. How many rushes? Didn't have a ton of rushing yards. <laughs> but still, there's J.J. McCarthy. And then you look at Quinn Ewers, didn't start off the game the greatest against Rice, against J.T. Daniels of all people. But Quinn Ewers still managed to get 260 yards and three tutties in this game. And then we talk about Michael Penix throwing five touchdowns in this game. We talk about Bo Nix in Oregon dropping 81 points against Portland State. Bo Nix had 287 passing yards and three touchdowns in the game. Didn't register a single rush attempt, but still... Three touchdowns, 287, or two, yeah, 287, with 81 points dropped. We talk about Shadur Sanders throwing for four touchdowns and 500-plus yards in this game. And you just keep scrolling, just talk about a new quarterback every single freaking time you turn the page on here. Like, Rattler got sacked nine times, still threw over 350 yards. Michael Pratt, and again, like, we're going lower-level quarterbacks against South Alabama, who was receiving votes. They received more votes for the top 25, first AP top 25 poll than Colorado did. Just to put that out there. So when I say Tulane versus South Alabama, you're like, oh, Michael Pratt for how good Tulane should be. He should be doing really good. South Alabama's a good football team. So don't sleep on them and like, disrespect them like that. But Michael Pratt, 14-15, four touchdowns, 253 or 294, sorry. I don't have my glasses on. And he also led the team in rush attempts at 39 yards rushing. Like, there's so many good quarterbacks. I'm probably forgetting about some of them. But man, there's some damn good quarterbacks in college football right now. Damn good quarterbacks. Now, you look at some teams that had some, you know, question mark. Oh, Joe Milton. Joe Milton had some beautiful throws in the game against Virginia. Dropped 49 points on him. Had a couple deep balls dropped. Still had three passing touchdowns in the game. Definitely has the strongest arm in the country. Definitely has the strongest arm in the country. That's not up for debate. I don't think there was very much to up for... I don't think there was very much of a debate going into the season, but after that game, seeing some of the throws he made with no effort behind him, he's definitely got the strongest arm in the country, and I think that could get him far. But these quarterback rankings are going to be very interesting. And the best part about it is... When you're looking at the top quarterbacks in the draft, we still don't have everybody playing yet. LSU, Florida State play tonight. So we see Jordan Travis and Jaden Daniels play. Then you got Riley Leonard for Duke playing tomorrow night on Labor Day. Clemson Duke, which is gonna be an insane, awesome game. Duke's a, or Clemson a 13 point favorite at Duke. We'll see. I'm definitely watching that game because I, I want I want to see how good Riley Leonard does against Clemson. This could be a really big. Hey, look at me, notice me type game for Riley Leonard for people that haven't really paid attention to him this offseason or last season because he plays for Duke. But then as I was trying to say before, you look at teams that had quarterback questions going into the season, like like Georgia, naming Carson Beck the starter, which wasn't really too surprising. I think that was kind of the, the idea going into the season. But he had two total touchdowns in the game, one passing, one rushing. Had 294 yards pass against UT Martin. But solid game. Solid game. As for Kyle McCord who got named the starter for Ohio State on Thursday, I think. Not a great game. Got pulled in the game for Devin Brown, who didn't really do anything good in his own right. But Kyle McCord, they got some quarterback questions. They've got an elite group of weapons. Like, you got Travion Henderson. You got Mayan Williams. You had Chip Traham. Traham, sorry. Having 97 yards rushing in their 57. Again, jeez, I had all my glasses. I need to get those on. But you have Cade Stover at tight end. You have Julian Fleming. Marvin Harrison had a shoulder injury in the game. And Mecca Ekbuka. You have so many good players. And you have a nice track record of having good quarterbacks. Like Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud. Even before then, like J.T. Barrett was a very good college quarterback. Dwayne Haskins. Like, you've had a very good run of quarterbacks. 
But now that you don't, and this is against Indiana. And I understand it was at Indiana, but still, it's Ohio State. It's Ohio State. Again, it's Ohio State. You should not be struggling in this game at all. And for the quarterback position, which has been a strong point for Ohio State the past couple of years, that's not a great way to start your season. And I wasn't too, that was what scared me a little bit about Ohio State was their quarterbacks. We had no idea who it would be. And he's not C.J. Stroud, and he's not Justin Fields. So it was like, are they going to be the same? The weapons will be able to carry as much as they can, but the play calling is going to have to change a little bit to go around this quarterback situation you got. So they're trying to run the same plays you got, like got a guy who finished second in the Heisman back-to-back years or the Heisman finalist back-to-back years. You don't have that guy anymore. So you're going to have to change things up a little bit. Jalen Milrow for Alabama was named the starter just the other day. He had a very solid game. Five total touchdowns this game. Led Alabama in rushing yards. Two touchdowns there. 48 yards rushing at 194 yards passing. Three tutties there. Ty Butchner, or Bookner, sorry, had it went three for five, 27 yards. And Ty Simpson came in, went one for one with five yards. Jason McClellan had 39 yards rushing as well. And it's against Middle Tennessee State. So you knew that it was gonna, not going to be like the most difficult game for Alabama. But Jalen Miller to start. Jalen Miller to start. We'll see if that how that stays going on throughout the rest of the season. They play Texas next week. A night game at home. At home. But time will tell. Time will tell. I've had like mixed feelings about Alabama this entire offseason just because of the quarterback situation. they got a solid enough team. It just depends on what kind of offense they switch to. Then you got Drew Alar for Penn State. There's not a quarterback controversy per se here. But you had a guy making his first start. Like everybody knew Drew Alar was going to be the quarterback going into the season. Everybody knew that. And he had three passing touchdowns, 325 passing in this game against West Virginia. Very good game. Very good game for Drew Alar. So that was kind of like their only question mark going into the season. Kind of. Not necessarily who it was going to be, but how good will he be? Expectations were insanely high for Drew Alar. And we saw him in this game. You know, lived up to it. Definitely lived up to it. Is there any other, like, big quarterback questions that we had going into the season? Oh, Mississippi, Ole Miss, sorry. So Jackson darts the starter there. We knew that going, which it would confuse me about Spencer Sanders transfer there, because I like Spencer Sanders, but going to a team that has a pretty entrenched starter doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Like Jackson dart in this game, 334, four touchdowns, no pick. Now, Spencer Sanders threw two touchdowns in his own right with three, 134 yards rushing, but Jackson dart also added in 36 yards on the ground. Like Ole Miss and Jackson Dart, it was a very slim chance that Stuart Sanders was going to win that job. I respect him for going there, but like trying to compete, but it wasn't really what I what he expected, I would imagine, because I don't think he expected to go in and then see Jackson Dart drop four tutties in game one. Now it was against Mercer, so you take it with that what you will. We got Oregon State and San Jose State playing right now. I tried to click on the box score, but it didn't work. Is the game just starting? Is that what happened? Oh, the game literally just started. <laughs> but this is a DJU's first game for for Oregon State. So it'll be interesting to see how they do. They've got some decent expectations. They were a good team last year. Got some decent expectations going into this season as well. Is there any other like big quarterback controversies on the other FBS level? Because we were just looking at top 25 teams. I wasn't even looking at like the entirety of college football. Scroll it down a little bit. Scrolling around, scrolling around. Oh, Noah Kim. It's Michigan versus Central Michigan. That was another game we were watching on Friday. We were trying to. Michigan State looks rough. Their running game's solid, which is what you expect because Mel Tucker needs a run game because the defense is going to be doing nothing to help them compete. The quarterback position, Noah Kim, yeah, nothing special. Nothing spectacular. Kind of what we expected. Scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. It was 10-7 going into halftime. It just wasn't great. Michigan State's not a fun team to watch. They're not really. They're not a very fun team to watch. Not a very fun team to watch. Keep scrolling, though. I forgot about that game. I tried to erase that game from my head. 
Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, 201 and a touchdown in the game against Miami of Ohio. Not great. Not the greatest game we talked about. We, oh, Louisville-Georgia Tech was the other game we were watching. Louisville-Georgia Tech. But strolling down a little bit more. Go outside the top 25 here. So Kentucky, Devin Leary, 241 and a touchdown in that game. New quarterback there. Again, no controversy, but just new quarterback. And then Fresno State beat on Purdue on Saturday. I forgot about that game. Hudson Carr, two touchdowns in the game, 254 yards passing. In the loss. In the loss. A team that just lost Jake Hayner, one of the better quarterbacks in college football over the recent years. That's a big dub. Very big dub. There wasn't a ton of expectations for Purdue going into the season, but still. Still. Losing that game to Fresno State is uh, not, not ideal. Not necessarily the most ideal thing in the world. You had Rocky Lombardi, who I forgot was still in college, have 165 yards at Illinois, Northern Illinois, sorry, beat Boston College. Boston College had an insane, like, I don't even know what you want to call it, fourth and five, like a fourth and five play that they re- totaled up like 300 yards, just r- the quarterback running around in the backfield. Still managed to get it, though. Still managed to get it, though. Uh, Peyton Thorne, we brought him up, or brought him up in the video, but former Michigan State quarterback, he had 141 yards passing and a touchdown there against UMass. Auburn, unsurprising win against UMass. An SEC team against UMass. It shouldn't be question marks really going into the, <laughs> in the game, into that game regarding the what the scoreline will be. And I hate this. It sends you all the way back to the top after you exit out of a game. Sucks. Absolutely is terrible. Uh, Phil Yurkovic for Pitt, 214 and a touchdown there. Then we got Emory Jones, five touchdowns passing for Cincinnati against Eastern Kentucky. 350, 345 yards passing. Emory Jones is talented. Henry Jones is talented. We've talked about him a lot on this show. Going back to his days at Florida, he's got the talent. It's just a matter of can he keep it all together and keep it consistent. That's been his big issue up to this point. But good game in game one for Cincinnati is their new Big 12 team. New Big 12 team there. Then we keep scrolling a little bit, keep scrolling. Cameron Ward, 451, three touchdowns. Also led the team in rushing with 40 yards and a touchdown there. Cam Ward's a baller. Cam Ward's a baller. If you listened to the show last year, we know Cam Ward's a baller. We absolutely know Cam Moore. We we know that guy. We know that guy. We are aware of his game. We are aware of his game. It's Will McIlvain, 258 and two touchdowns, Central Arkansas versus Okie State. Lost the game, but still, two tutties for Will. Nice. Keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep scrolling. Texas Tech losing to Wyoming. A team that was everybody's dark horse going into the season, losing to Wyoming week one. I give Texas Tech credit for going to Wyoming, but still, you can't lose to Wyoming. It's Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes there. And much like in real life, Josh Allen will come, will come out victorious. Man. Uh, BYU versus Sam, Sam Houston State. But Sam Houston, good team. Good team. Keen Slovis, though, 145 yards passing. LJ Martin, 91 yards. Aiden Robbins, 23 yards receiving. Or rushing, sorry, in the game. But yeah, Sam Houston's a good team. So BYU winning 14 nothing is nothing really, like, insane. But there weren't a ton of expectations for BYU going into the season. See how Keaton Slovis does as the season progresses. But, yeah, fun stuff. Really fun stuff. I'm excited to see what Clemson-Duke game, though. I'm really excited to see Clemson-Duke. I think Duke will cover. I don't know if Duke will win, but I think they can cover. Oh, God, Rutgers-Northwestern. I forgot about that game. That game was brutal. I watched half till halftime and stopped. I couldn't watch it anymore. 24-7 to was the final there. Man, but LSU-Florida State, that's going to be a really fun game tonight as well. I'm, I'm just It's so nice to have football back. It's just so nice to have football back. We had the NFL coming back on Thursday, Chiefs-Lions. So, yeah, we're just getting all sorts of football. And it's beautiful. This time of the year is the greatest time of the year. And I saw this earlier, which also, like, talking about Iowa's weird-ass stat, like, just thinking about that. Another weird-ass stat, the Browns have never had a receiver go for 1,000 yards in back-to-back seasons. Ever. 
Amari Cooper could be the first after gaining over 1,100 yards last year. The Browns have existed since 1944, though they took a hiatus in the 90s. But, you know, they've only had a receiver gain 1,000-plus yards 10 times. I think Amari Cooper can definitely get that. As long as he stays healthy, knock on wood, if he can stay healthy, then, yeah, there's no reason why he couldn't get 1,000 yards this year. The Browns cannot be worse than what they were last year offensively. There's no way they can be worse. And Deshaun Watson should be better than what he was last year. Missing a whole year, sitting out the whole year the season before, getting suspended for the first however many games last year. Yeah, it wasn't going to be the most easy time going into that season, but, you know, it happens. It happens, and he'll be better going into the season. Mari Cooper, I would imagine, gets over 1,000 yards receiving. Nick Chubb will have well over 1,000 yards if he can stay healthy. Browns should be better. I don't know how much better. I'm not going to sit here and say they can win the division or anything, but they should be better than what they were a season before, which shouldn't be that hard to that hard to do. But I'm not the biggest fan of Kevin Stefanski, so... You know, we'll let that we'll let that one go. But that's all I've got for you today. Or that's all I'm going to really talk about to you today on the Logan Blackman Show. And yeah, had a very fun day, very fun weekend of watching football. We're going to continue watching football as the rest of the week goes on. And yeah, NFL season preview will come to you on YouTube shortly this week. I think on Tuesday, which we're aiming it for. So make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can make sure to check that video. We're almost at 100 subscribers on the YouTube channel. Or we might be at 100 subscribers subscribers at this point. Let's check. Let's actually check. What do you think we're at? What do you think we're at for our subscribers at this point? We're at like 94 or 92. Sorry. We're at 92 subscribers right now. So yeah, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. The Iowa State video, 331 views. Thank you to Iowa State fans out there that watched that video. Iowa had 83 views. You and I, unsurprisingly, had the least amount of views with 39. But thank you to all everybody that watched those videos. And again, make sure to subscribe because we got a lot more videos coming your way on the Logan Blackman Show YouTube channel. Again, namely the NFL preview, which again, we'll try to get on on Tuesday for you. Try to get it on Tuesday. We might do a Wednesday thing. Might try to get it on a Wednesday as well. Do an NFC and an AFC preview, or we'll just have it all in one giant video. Time will tell, but make sure to subscribe for that, and make sure you subscribe and or follow the Apple Podcast and Spotify accounts and all different forms of social media as well. Leave a rating and a five stars on the podcast, and let me know why you feel the way you do down below. I've been Logan Blackman. Hope you enjoy your Labor Day weekend. I will see you, or hope you enjoyed, I guess, because you're going to be listening to us on Monday. Hope you enjoyed it, and I will talk to you guys later. Peace.